Welcome to the Mockingcast, the podcast of Mockingbird Ministries, an organization that exists to connect the Christian faith with the nitty-gritty realities of everyday life. As always, I'm Scott Jones, your host, and we come to you every Friday to discuss, among other things, the contents of our weekly roundup post, Another Week Ends, which is sort of like our guide for the Christian cosmopolitan person with a grace-infused passion for life to the contents of the interwebs as we see them, what you should pay attention to, to catch glimpses of God's grace out there in the wide world as brought to you by the web. In just a moment, this will be a special, uh, you'll hear a special recording of the Mockingcast, which was recorded live at our conference in Tyler, Texas. But before that, I'm going to talk with a return guest to the show, Jacob Smith, to talk about preaching and listening to preaching during Holy Week. So with no further ado, Jacob Smith. Back on the Mockingcast for the second time, no stranger to Mockingbird folks, the Reverend Mr. Jacob Smith from New York to Big Apple, the city that never sleeps. How are you doing, man? It's great. I'm doing great. Ready for Holy Week and uh, excited to be back on the Mockingcast. We're coming into Holy Week. So among our listeners, lots of them during Holy Week uh, in, in the high religious Holiday season will be either preaching or listening to preaching. So I thought yeah. maybe you could give us a few tips for preachers during Holy Week and a few tips for hearers of the word. That's good. Well, I think that uh, um, especially for preachers during Holy Week, they too need to be hearers of the word. Uh, they too need to, uh, if you're going to bring your congregation into the story, you yourself need to be brought into it as well. And so when you're preparing your sermon, uh, I encourage everyone during Holy Week who are preachers to preach to themselves. And, uh, and if your heart is being struck by the story, um, because you typically are the lowest common denominator, you will hit everyone in your congregation as well. Now, if you're preaching to yourself, do you use a mirror or do you use FaceTime? How do you do that? Like the photo <laughs> booth app? How do you preach to yourself? Oh, that's good. Uh, no, uh, but I, I, I speak, uh, I speak to and, uh, and, and pray about what, where my need is at as well. And where does the text and where do these great events in the history of the Christian story by which we are brought into by the Holy Spirit? How does it speak to me? If, if it doesn't speak to you, then it isn't going to speak to anyone else. So you've got to, you've got to, I think, who, who says this? Uh, so I've heard someone say, don't let, uh, your, uh, don't let the pulpit drive you to the text. Let the text drive you to the pulpit. Yep, absolutely. And that's exactly right. And so if the text is driving you to the pulpit, there should be a word in there for you as well that will speak to everybody in the congregation. All right. So the first thing I like that. So be be part of the story. Don't try to tell clue people into a story that you're an outsider to. Well, I yeah, and I think that's a problem with preachers for uh, the most part is that preachers uh, they get in that pulpit and they think just because the pulpit is elevated that somehow they're above the congregation, 
And uh, really, a good existential grace-filled preaching comes from the realization that you yourself need a word as well. Uh, we are all broken, and uh, we are all in need of that word of grace. This is the thing which makes AA so powerful, is that anybody who gets up and speaks begins with, Hi, my name is Jacob, and I'm not a basically good person. I'm an alcoholic, and uh, I have a word as well. And that word comes out of our brokenness. And so one must place themselves in that in that spot of brokenness in order to speak to other broken people. All right. That's and the, anything. So we got you got to put yourself in the story. Make sure there's a word for you. Any other tips for preaching? Well, I, I think, you know, I think that's the that's the And then, you know, uh, and then see, then let the story take you to the gospel, because this week, Holy Week, I mean, is the gospel magnified from the beginning with Palm Sunday to uh, the very end of uh, Holy Week, which is Easter Sunday in that glorious resurrection. And so um, you yourself are brought into the story. And that's a very powerful thing. And it's uh, very contrary to the way most evangelicals think uh, today religiously. They think that it's all about inviting God into their life, which isn't all that exciting. Uh, well, at least my life. I'm not talking about yours. But, but I mean, come on, I'm in Langhorn, <laughs> Jake. If, if, if your life's not exciting in New York, I'm in greater Philadelphia, suburbs, Pennsylvania. I mean, this is, you know, it doesn't get less interesting. Than right here. I don't know. I don't know, man. But uh, the the point is, is that that Holy Week reminds us that God has brought us into His story, and uh, this great redemptive moment now plugs us in and makes us Gentiles, people of God as well. And so we are now brought into God's story, something greater than ourselves. Really, the liturgy and the point of Holy Week is to pull us up out of our navel gazing and see that God is for us and that he has made us his people and has made us a part of his great story. Uh, who cares about mine? Do you think that it's common for preachers to struggle with preaching the gospel from the gospels? Ooh, that's a, that's a good question. Um, it, it shouldn't be because right there in the gospels, is the gospel itself, Jesus Christ. And so, and uh, his teachings are, you know, that's one of the reasons why the Pharisees and the crowds keep saying he teaches as one with, who has his own authority, uh, because he wasn't making reference to anything else. Everything he was doing was pointing to him. You know, that's why he kept saying all of the law and the prophets are about me. And so therefore all of his teachings are about him. And, uh, you know, uh, uh, Palm Sunday is the perfect example of this fact that um, it's all about him, you know, in the in the uh, riding up and the triumphal entry and uh, everybody there um, so shouting Hosanna in the highest. But they're on trial with Barabbas, you know, the son of the father, the son of the father is exchanged so that we might become the sons of the father. And so you begin to see that even the Gospels are uh, are uh, about him, and uh, and the preacher should draw that point and that conclusion for the congregation, so to give them a little peace of mind. Yeah, I think sometimes people, right, preachers sometimes preach the Gospels like they're good advice about a, a good example, like a, a religious genius or something, instead of good news about God entering into the broken, fallen human story and turning it inside out. So it becomes kind of, um, Im imitation of Jesus rather than participation by grace in Jesus. Yeah, and that's a, that's a, that's a category mistake. Uh, you oftentimes, you'll hear people, um, 
I often, I've heard people come back from mission trips and their favorite person to quote after they've come home from a mission trip is St. Francis of Assisi. And I don't even know if he actually said it, but those words, preach the gospel daily, use words when necessary. Right. Well, that's a category mistake because it isn't advice. It isn't something you live. It's something you hear and you receive that brings you hope in the midst of all the things you haven't done. Okay, so we've got some good advice here for preachers. Now, what about our listeners that are hearers of the word? They're in reception mode. So there'll be a lot of religious services, many of them, hearing, you know, one, two, three, maybe more sermons this week if they're real devotees, devotees. So how can you put your, how do you put your shoulder pads on? How do you show up with your game face, uh, to, uh, really experience, you know, the, the rich, uh, redemptive message of Holy Week. Well, I think the powerful, the powerful uh, thing about Holy Week is, is that, uh, like I said, we've been hitting and reiterating. You're brought into this story. Martin Luther once said, he said when speaking, uh, preaching on Good Friday, he said, um, "When you see the thorns in his head, and you see his hands and feet pierced, and his side uh, that gaping wound with blood and water, know that you have wrought this." And uh, this is a powerful thing about Holy Week is that we are brought in to see uh, the one who has died for our transgression. And then you're brought along this powerful story to celebrate the one who has been raised for your justification. Uh, this is really what it's all about. And we see uh, uh, two great lessons come out of Holy Week that the hearers should learn and uh, receive. And that is that um, when it comes to the human condition, uh, we are sorely broken and in a spot and in a rut that we cannot get out of. It's called human sin. And that, too, we have been given a rescuer, a deliverer, one who has come to save us, who is Jesus Christ the Righteous. And really, as a hearer, you should leave Holy Week knowing uh, uh, two things. And that really is um, that um, uh, two things about the Christian life. And that is one, that uh, sanctification is not linear, but it's cyclical. And that is that we are constantly brought into contact with our own brokenness. And to see the cross and the resurrection and know that you are still justified is a powerful lesson that's taught in Holy Week. And then the other thing uh, to learn in Holy Week is that is that uh, the Christian life is not victorious, but rather the Christian life is therefore uh, one because we need a savior. And so therefore no one's victorious. We're always just being saved all the time. And this is the point. I love how the Gospel of Mark ends. He tells them to go back to Galilee, and there they'll receive fur further instructions. And uh, this is where the Gospel of Mark actually begins. And so you're constantly going back to the beginning of the story, brought back to the cross, until we too will be raised on the last day. The, uh, as St. Paul says, the imperishable, uh, the perishable becoming imperishable. And so that's what every hearer should learn and take away from uh, Holy Week this week. So there's a once-for-all dimension to our redemption in Christ, and yet there's an again and again, you know, like that's right. Starting is like starting again at the beginning, and maybe the higher and deeper really comes from the again and again. That's right. As I as I as I've said before, uh, you were saved, 
2,000 years ago. You're being saved right now, and you will be saved when you uh, are brought out of the tomb. And because of this righteousness given to you by Jesus, you hear the words of God say, well done, good and faithful servant. So what will you be uh, – what's some stuff you'll be talking about up there in New York during Holy Week? How many times yeah. are you preaching? Uh, well, actually, this year I'm uh, only going to preach twice. So I'm going to preach um, – well, three times. I'm going to preach Palm Sunday. I'm going to preach the Easter Vigil, and I'm going to preach Easter Sunday. And so – and then I have two great preachers on staff, the Reverend Mr. Bendy Hart and the Reverend Mr. Jim Monroe, uh, who will take on Maundy Thursday and Good Friday, and both of them will be hammering home the gospel. But on Palm Sunday, I've been thinking a lot, and I've been thinking a lot about uh, that article that was up on Mockingbird from The Onion – and that oh, was something yeah. like 80% of uh, all people would get into a car with a complete stranger if it meant the ex- uh, complete change of their entire life. Yes. And uh, that's what I'm talking about on Palm Sunday. Um, uh, we all uh, hitch our bandwagon to Jesus, but none of us actually know where he's, he's headed to. And uh, that is uh, – and where he's headed to ultimately by the end of this week is his death and our very own death. Uh, but it's in that death that we actually find true life, a new life, uh, one that is uh, our life exchanged for his. And so that's my big idea on Palm Sunday. Well, that sounds great. And I, I'd encourage our listeners, if you're in the New York area, to check out Jacob's Church. What's the website? Uh, it's www.calvarystgeorges.org. And um, – and uh, there's always something new on that web page going. Do you on. have door prizes for like first time <laughs> visitors, anything like that? Yeah, we ask everybody to stand up, and then we give them a twenty dollars Starbucks card. Oh, nice! <laughs> I like that. No, not at all. We just, you know, tell them to come in, and uh, you know, you're indeed uh, uh, you're you're wonderfully loved, but you're also a part of the herd. So, <laughs> absolutely. Well, thanks. Yeah. Thanks so much, Jacob, and uh, I hope that. Uh, your services are well attended and that uh, it's a blessing to both those leading it and those who are in attendance. Thank you too, Scott, for this wonderful ministry that you do. And, uh, and thanks to all the listeners of the mocking uh, cast and uh, all of the readers of the blog and uh, looking forward to seeing everybody come to the New York city mockingbird conference, April 14th, 15th and 16th. Uh, we're going to be talking about relief and it's going to be a, once again, an amazing time. Yeah, people will not want to miss it. Yeah. Thanks a lot, Scott. Pleasure's all mine. Welcome back to the Mockingcast. We're actually recording in Tyler, Texas, in a green room. I mean, the room is not green, but it's actually, but it is like a green room. Like, I feel like we're like Hollywood. We've gone Hollywood. We've definitely gone Hollywood. We're gathered around like one mic. I might post a picture of this at like the Twitter feed. We're all we're gathered around like one single microphone. So if we sound a little different, our Peter context. Paul and Mary. Mm-hmm. Oh, absolutely. Peter, Paul, and Mary, except David, Sarah, Scott, DSS. It sounds like a disease. DS squared sounds like a shoe store. So we ha- we are at the Mockingbird Tyler Conference, and that's why we're gathered around the single mic. But there's still a copy of another weekend's. There's still the mocking cast. It goes on. Rain, sleet, snow, like the post office, but different because we don't have to walk through it. 
So at the risk, first of all, I'll just get this out of here really quickly because we don't want to overkill comic books. But uh, the Another Weekend's uh, highlights a, a thing about Ben Affleck, an interview, a New York Times interview. And Affleck says this, which I think is really interesting. They're asking about his broken Batman that he's portraying, which comes out next week in Batman v Superman. But he says, while he watch, when he watches other movies that strain to make their protagonists likable and, and valorous, Mr. Affleck said, I find that boring. Instead, I think it's interesting how we manage the best version of ourselves despite our flaws and our weaknesses and our sometimes tendency to do the wrong things. And later it says Affleck also realized that for all his Hollywood successes, some part of him will always feel like a relentless striver who must prove through his work that he has the right to be there. That never goes away. It's great to know that Ben Affleck feels insecure. Like, yeah. I, it makes me feel so much better about myself. Because like, don't we always think if we just had, like, one more success or one more achievement or if I just had this that we'd feel better about ourselves? And, like, Ben Affleck doesn't. Right. Yeah. There's a something called the imposter syndrome where uh, you, you sort of uh, – I think – some social science thing where they interviewed all these high achieving people and all of them feel like an imposter. Mm. And I know that that, I mean, that's gotta be true in the church context. I think it's totally true in the church context with what I keep thinking of. Uh, and I, I know we try to avoid too much Trump talk, but I keep thinking of when we were in the, um, in the Southern studies department at Ole Miss, we talked about why people fought in the civil war and why they got all these people to fight the Civil War who were poor, who had never owned slaves. And it was because there was always this potential in their minds, even at that point in time, when socially it was impossible to really climb up some sort of ladder, there was this potential in their minds that one day they would be in the big house. One day they could own slaves. One day they could could accomplish this, and so they would always fight for it. And um, I kind of feel like we're seeing that, and we see that culturally all the time with people, but... Part of me thinks we see that in Donald Trump, that there are a lot of people who keep looking to him to be this person that they can maybe become or identify with or be more like. And so they're so they're supporting him for all these strange internal reasons. John Oliver did this segment on income inequality. And he said, like, it's it's funny. You would, with the amount of income inequality we have, most countries would be in revolt. But he says, it's like Americans say, yeah, I know the game's rig. That's what's going to make it so awesome when I win. <laughs> so, but yeah, there, there is like... like everybody's striving. Everybody feels like an imposter. Everybody in the, in the South, everybody's trying to get the big house. Yeah. Everybody's trying to get the big house, the big car, and the big uh, McDonald's. Mansion and the life. Big, uh, conference. <laughs> and the big conference. We're coming along. Now. Uh, so, yeah, so I think uh, it's a great. One of the other things that, that you know, he's, at the same time this film is coming out, there's these, you know, Jane and Jennifer Garner are going through a divorce and she did a kind of big Vanity Fair piece. And I mean, some negative rumors have come out about Ben Affleck. And so I think Ricky Gervais said at the Oscars, like, here's Matt Damon, the one person that Ben Affleck. Hasn't been unfaithful to. Him. <laughs> <laughs> he did. That's awesome. Yeah. So I mean, I feel for Ben Affleck. Like it's interesting. Not only uh, is he portraying maybe a more broken and human Batman, but he seems like in this interview, he's a broken, authentic individual as much as any of us can be authentic. Another thing I want to highlight is I found something really of of worth here that CJ hat tip to CJ for finding this. It's an article about from the Atlantic on the function of the novel. 
And it talks about how basically Obama sat down with Marilyn Robinson to have this conversation with her and that he said, you know, one of the things he feels like not as president, but as a citizen is that for a democracy to work well, we need empathy. And that novels, you know, Richard, he talks about how Richard Rory, the philosopher, said that basically theology and philosophy are losing their power to render the universal common human condition. And it's only in things like fiction, novels, that we actually find that universal core humanity. Actually, and there's actually bolstered evidence in it, like from neuroscience, that actually it, it, novels actually, good novels actually activate this empathy, um, empathy part of our brain that tunes into others. And, and sure. that, so, so it's a great piece. That's, I, I, that's true. That's what we miss when we, when we, the, that novel is, is such an interior art form and that you, you cease to be able to, you're basically getting into other people's heads and you're able to you know, acknowledge, even if you don't agree, you can acknowledge another person's point of view. And, um, this is I, I gave a talk about technology the other night, and they said one of the one of the reasons that people agree that we're so divided in this country, but this applies to churches, you know, mm-hmm. even within denominations, is that people cease to interact with each other face to face, and that's mm-hmm. why actually why, frankly, it's nice to be at one of these conferences because you actually you get to talk to people face to face, and even if, unfortunately, this is kind of an affinity group, so everyone kind of is is on on board with each other and is excited to see each other, but. Still, when you stop the ability to have lunch with another person, to hear about it, well, how it's going with their children, I mean, that is the key to uh, healing in the land. <laughs> yes. Right, Sarah? Yeah, 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 for sure. Yeah. I, mean, I, I feel like I'm empathizing with you right now. I think you are. <laughs> I can see it, everybody. For those of you who can't see it's so there's so much empathy going on here. Yeah. It's, I can smell it. Well, it reminds me of, I mean, we read our kids' books all the time, and um and those are, you know, all these, always these fictional narratives. And it's amazing how many times I'll sit down to read my five-year-old book and I'll start weeping, you mm-hmm. know, and, and because it touches on something in me, it makes me see life in a different way and uh, very quickly in a children's book, which is nice for those of us who don't have a lot of time. Mm-hmm. So. Well, two people today who met me in person for the first time, I have, I've recorded calls with them, you know, for the podcast, but they said they didn't recognize me. One said they thought I'd be taller. And the and the other and the other said I'm much more muscular and my hair looks in this cool spiky style. That was Aaron Zimmerman said I'm much. That's a really good way to play off not recognizing me. Oh, you're so muscular. Aaron pers- self confessed people pleaser. Yeah. Well, he pleased me. He pleased me. Aaron Zimmerman, if you're listening, mission accomplished. I was pleased. My ego was stroked. I feel wunderbar. Uh, also, yeah, it's also one of the twists in the article though is this. So. There's this sort of notion going along with the president's uh, suggestion and rarities that by encouraging us to adopt the perspective of another, in particular a profoundly alien other, fiction leads us to draw new and wider nets around our otherwise more isolated selves. Reading novels breaks down the boundary between me and not me. CJ sees he likes this point, but there's what if we're at a place where we're not solitary anymore with iPhones, iPads, social media, television, all sorts of new media inundating us. New, fish, new, new fiction is exactly that, the article goes on, a communication from a voice that distrusts or disbelieves in the possibility of communication, an exhibition of a perspective that is true by virtue of not being knowable by anyone else. We read alone, our received story goes, in order to conjure up what others are like and to soothe our isolation. But what if we are not isolated? 
if we are now relentlessly connected, every marginal identity gaining collective recognition, becoming assimilated even more rapidly. If that is where we stand, then something like a stubbornly solitary voice may be welcome, even necessary, telling us that what it means to be human and what may keep us human is to feel alone in a strange room with our seclusion, the thing that defines and can save us. Wow. Preach it. And yeah. it's like a, the solitary voice. <laughs> Holy Week is upon us. Yeah, the still small voice. The, and the one who is abandoned. And uh, I have to figure out what I'm going to say on Good Friday. Maybe I'll just uh, read that article. Yeah, it's, and it's interesting. You think of like the Bible's focus. You know, it starts with a cosmic story, right? All the nations, the cosmos. And then after Genesis 11, it hones down on one guy and one woman, a new Adam, Abraham and Sarah. Then it widens out to like clan, uh, then nation. Then after the exile, it windows down again from small, from a divided nation, smaller, smaller, broken Israel. And then the story of redemption boils down to one lone Israelite. Wow. So the moment of our redemption, it's like the solitary moment. Well, thank you. Again, ego stroked. Um, <laughs> now I have to confess my sin of pride, like Luther. I'm going, but yeah, I think it's, it's, yeah. And there you see the gardener that began the cosmic story in the garden, sweating blood in that. So, so it's like in our solitariness, you know, it, it, we're in union by grace with the one who's procured our redemption in solitude. That doesn't make me uh, want to vomit. It doesn't? Like that other uh, article. Why Christianity want makes. Oh yeah! Oh gosh! Yeah, that's a great piece. Why Christianity um, makes us want to vomit. That was by who was it? Chris by? Kratzer. Chris Kratzer, who I've never read any of his stuff, but I like this. And he one of I mean, it's a great piece. I would encourage our listeners to go read the whole thing. But one quote: He says, "You think you have it so drunk on the sound of your own voice, as if God allotted you exclusive awareness to all things Bible and His proper interpretation. You cling on to your truths as if the deity had trademarked your understanding." No room for questioning, no room for thinking, no room for living to the beat of an alternative drum, if only to assimilate us all into the collective of your spiritual board. Star Trek reference. You are always right, a true, genuine follower of Christ. Everyone else, some shade of rebellion and unfaithfulness, desperately in need of your discipleship. Oh, my gosh. That reminds me so much of uh, me before Mockingbird and me after Mockingbird in terms of the pulpit, because I, I really came to Mockingbird around the time that I was ordained a deacon. And I had preached beforehand. You know, I preached a lot in seminary. And it always felt, I mean, I didn't realize it at the time, but very performance-oriented. And I remember I remember internalizing the message of Mockingbird coming to reconcile the fact that I was a sinner saved by God's mm-hmm. grace and getting up in the pulpit that first time and I was preaching about the conversion of St. Paul. That was the text. And I felt, I just remember shaking the whole time I preached. It was complete. It was a completely different experience. I mean, just, um, I don't know, that knowledge of self. And a self-knowledge is based on, right, not your own self-confidence or that, that you have the vision to kind of undertake your life, but it's actually a self a fullness that's born out of emptiness, right. <laughs> like out of spiritual po- riches that come through the acknowledgement of poverty. That makes me think of, or that makes that uh, article, what you read from it, there's a lot more in it, and it, the, um, the tone is a little... It's a little snarky. It's a, yeah, it's, it unfortunately is a little... 
invalidating. However, it's a great, it's, he's right about almost everything he says. But the, um, uh, there's the Babylon Bee, that humor. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that they had some article that someone forwarded me. It's like, you know, Christian blogger uh, or local blogger uh, thinks he's just about the only Christian left. <laughs> it's like he's That's one amazing. of these uh, discernment bloggers who's kind of like take, constantly taking everyone to task. And, right. um, like, you know, basically at the end of the day, I've realized that I'm pretty much the faithful remnant. That's me. He's the last one. Yeah. Yeah. Last yeah. One. Well, so, I mean, you had the faithful one in the garden, and then it, you know, the movement lost a little steam after that. So it's picking back up now. We've got one new Messiah, figure, you know, and not in a garden, but in front of a, a Mac, probably. Man, it's a PC person. So, yeah, and, and clearly. No. It's actually, <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, and then, you know, it's very interesting. The last thing I just want to highlight is that uh, I haven't seen this sketch, but I'm going to watch it after we're done recording. But uh, that basically, uh, Colbert said about Trump. That you know, when Romney says you're a failure, he says, we've all been there. Or, well, this guy's in this uh, in this piece is saying is highlighting Cobert's empathy, and apparently Cobert says, "I mean, isn't that what all of us want? Love and maybe steak?" Because like, <laughs> they're like looking at Trump's desire for all this validating that he's a winner and like all his products that were winning. But yeah, I mean, in some sense, like uh, Romney highlighting all these business failures might have made Trump a more sympathetic candidate than a less sympathetic because we've all failed. Like, oh, that's interesting. Yeah. yeah. More em- empathy. We're back to empathy. Back to empathy. Well, and more of that, and also just like that he keeps on pushing through all, you know what I mean? Isn't that like the American narrative? Like, you know, we just keep pushing through our failures. So look at Donald Trump. Doesn't well, that, I, 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 yeah. I was talking to someone about it the other day and the, the more resistance this guy gets, which is, you know, almost unanimous in the media, uh, will be, if we believe in the sort of, Way that the law works, that's gonna that's gonna actually produce the opposite. Oh, absolutely! Oh, absolutely! It is producing the opposite. It's not. It, this is anyway. I have I have a question uh, for Sarah um, that I've been meaning to ask her since uh, she texted me a couple of minutes ago. <laughs> Tell me about the SNL cat lady skit because I've never actually seen oh, it. She said she God. was gonna sound like the SNL cat lady AIDS person. Yes. What does that so, mean? I think um, our listeners want to know. Yeah, so there's this character, you, they know it, there's this character on SNL, and she's uh, she's always hanging out with her friends, and they're always, like, at a coffee shop, and everybody's talking about all these really positive, fun things, and then she mentions the staggering number of cats that are diagnosed each year with feline AIDS. <laughs> Wait, is that Debbie Downer? Yes. Oh, Debbie Downer, oh, yeah. Yeah. I know Debbie yeah, Downer. Yeah, 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 and that's, I just, I sometimes I, I feel like the, the feline AIDS lady of mocking. Because we all took the uh, Enneagram this week. Yeah. We did. And uh, this is one of the things that came out is you like dark. Yes. And your husband oh. is not into dark. Yeah, yeah. Her husband, essentially, you're the achiever, but you're an achiever with kind of a hard edge. He's seven, the enthusiast. This is a great personality test for our listeners, by the way. I'll put a link in the show notes to a test. You can take it and email us your type and we'll psychoanalyze you. Just kidding. We won't do that. But we might, well, we might if it's interesting enough. But uh, yeah, that your 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 husband's type is the sort of sunny disposition, like the enthusiast, like yeah, hey, yeah. F- FOMO. Enf- yeah. Enthusiasts yeah. have FOMO, fear oh, of missing out. Yeah, yeah, totally. Well, with that enneagram, I think you had told me too, Scott, and I heard especially that Richard Rohr has an incredible book about it. It's great, yeah. And, um, 
but what it's diff- the way it's different than Myers Briggs is it's not actually highlighting your strengths. Right. It's exposing your weaknesses. Yeah. And it all starts with the childhood wounding. Yeah, I know. It's like I'm I'm a I'm a I'm a type two wing three or something mm-hmm. like that. And that's it. That's the helper mm-hmm. with the sort of achiever side note. But it's like okay, that's great. I like to help people. It's just no. As a kid, you felt loved only to the extent that you could help other people. Right, right. When you were performing, like, you've learned how to like meet people's needs because when you met needs as a kid, you got affirmation for doing that, and, yes. and, and, and you like the way it felt. Yeah, yeah. You're you're trading uh, like validation for for love, or, yeah. you know, for help. And, and it's uh, it's man. Thanks a lot, Scott. I know. <laughs> you know what was cool though is we actually did my husband's enneagram on the way to Tyler in the car. Scott read it out. So if you want to be really alarmed by an Enneagram, have your spouse take it out loud in front of you. It was fun. It was a blast. Yeah. <laughs> was it like the, was it the, what's that, the dating game? Isn't that the? Yeah, it, yeah, yeah it's a little like the, yeah. Because there were a couple of them that I was like, oh, totally false. And Josh is like, true? And I'm like, what? So, or, yeah. or he'd be pausing between true and false. And Sarah and I like, look, if it's that long of a pause, it, it's, 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 it's true or so it's yeah. false. It's yeah. like, you're, you're just trying to cover it up. You know, like, <laughs> yeah, no, I imagine though, doing it in front of other people adds that element of, Oh. spectator that you you don't want right when you're doing it have you guys ever been to a wedding where they do like a version of the newlywed game uh in front of everyone at the like where they say what's her favorite uh type of food is and then like the groom's supposed to no i've been to a couple weddings where like the the groom and the bride like got each other like significantly wrong <laughs> It's so awkward. It's like maybe they shouldn't, you know, maybe they should wait a little while. They did not go through awesome. premarital counseling. That's great fun though for the guests. I mean, it's tough for the it's tough for the couple, but great for the guests. Everyone just, I guess, get, has an extra drink. Oh my gosh! So Josh once did this. He did a wedding. It was a rehearsal dinner in New York, and the couple had it at this like it. It was this cooking class thing. It was a very strange rehearsal dinner. Huh. And um, they played games in front of us. And I remember one of the questions, we were just talking about this, one of the questions was, who's more vain? <laughs> and the husband-to-be looked at the wife-to-be and said, we're not going to talk about this in front of everyone. And it was like so awkward. You're so vain. I was like, why are we doing this at a wedding? That's, that's unbelievably horrific. Yeah. I mean, that, that is like horrific. Yeah. That, like, yeah. That's a terrible question to be asked. <laughs> No, let me tell you an experience I had that today that was not horrific. So, uh, and this is like this one are not beat. No, yeah, this is um, this is, and thank you to um, Sarah's family. I I so I rode here from Houston uh, to Tyler, and I got there at an ungodly hour. I mean, like, and by that, I mean Jonathan Edwards said Jesus rising uh, at dawn is like God's parable for how pastors keep their hours. But I'm a morning person, so, but that's just self-righteous. So anyway, but anyway, it was not got there, but, but I was tired because it had been a lot of traveling and I played, um, with Sarah's children. And you know, when Jesus talks about like, um, you have to be childlike to be in the kingdom. Like, I feel like a lot of times our broken selves are, are childish selves, not our child, childlike self, but our childish self. But uh, I, I felt like the child in me uh, as they, they, and it was very invitational the way they played and interacted with me. So it was a wonderful, it was a wonderful, and first Neil beat me at soccer. It was by one goal, by one goal though. It was close. He's amazing. Oh yeah. They were. It was, Scott got to our house this morning at 620. I love you, Scott. <laughs> hey. Dude, I live and die the team, boss. I live and die the team. <laughs> that's some, that's some love, right? So I, it's been a great time here in Tyler so far, and I 
and again, it started the right way by uh, the beauty of the child. So thank you for that. And thank you to our listeners. And we will be back with our regular microphones and regular setup next week. So we say goodbye from the green room in Tyler, Texas. Bye-bye. Adios. Thanks for listening to The Mockingcast. As always, all of the content we discuss can be found on our website, mbird.com. And if you've got some feedback, please uh, let us know. You can reach us on our website. We love mail. And if you like what you heard, please drop by iTunes and give us a rating and a review. And by all means, have a great weekend and a blessed Holy Week.